0: So hello to uh, our third episode on becoming a post planner, obstacles to changing roles and practices. Um, I'm Viola Schulze-Dieckhoff from the collective of um, post planning and I'm here today with Christian Lampker and Antonia Ferreira. So please, uh, ask you kindly to introduce yourself as well.
1: Okay, yeah, thank so you. I'm Christian Lemker, I'm Assistant Professor for Sustainable Transformation and Regional Planning in Um uh, and also from my side, a warm welcome to our guest, Antoni- guest Antonio Ferreira.
2: And so, yes, I'm Antonio Ferreira, um, I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk. Uh, I'm at the moment a senior researcher at the University of Porto in Portugal. Um, And uh, and I find this a very interesting topic, and so I'm very excited about this.
0: Thank you very much, Antonio. Um, I would like to start with the first question. Like we gave you a couple of questions beforehand, but we can also continue from there to other parts, but mainly come back to the the four questions. Um, The first one would be, it's uh, how would you describe uh, today a typical planner, like as an individual being?
3: I, I think I think there is not a
2: typical planner um, I would say that there are at least two dichotomies that are very important at the moment and one is whether what we call the planner is a person that is working more on what sometimes is called the development control uh, assessing planning applications issuing planning permits construction uh, permits uh, or if the planner is a person that is actually engaged in the, the, the exercises of thinking about the future, envisioning possibilities, making strategic choices together with other people. The lives of these two people are very different and both are called plan- planners. And then there's another distinction that I find very important as well, which is whether the planner is, is working in an organization which is very traditionalist, rule-based, law-based, or if the planner is working in this kind of organization in which innovation, uh, engagement, uh, entrepreneurship, um, a bit selling yourself as well, uh, are, are values. And so, if so, for example, you can imagine in one extreme a planner that is doing development control in a very traditional organization. So for this person, work is very routine-based; it's only about following rules, checking weather, planning applications um check uh, the the requirements of the law I sense that in Portugal, for example the the life of most people we call planners is like that um and then uh, you can imagine in the other extreme people that are in these highly innovative entrepreneurial um organizations doing a very uh, work very focused on the future I and mean, exploring possibilities, creating opportunities so this is very different so for the first ones. I'll say that life can be a bit monotonous, boring, but also very relaxing, comforting. But the other one is life can be very exciting and also very stressful. But that's not necessarily the case. You can have a situation in which the first one has a terrible boss, a lot of patriarchal control situations. So it's, it's variable. Uh, and I think that all this, this, this enormous diversity includes what we call the work of the
3: planet.
1: okay so many worlds for planners actually so um what would you say why is it so important to understand what hinders all these planners to think in the direction of post-growth or what may help us to understand this question why are these all these different planners hindered to think in a post-growth direction
2: well let's consider these two types again So the individual that is operating in a very rule-bound organization will probably uh, have to follow the law, will have to follow the rules. And the rules will have in themselves the direction in which what we can call development is supposed to happen. So if that is pro-growth, the the role of this individual is to check that is actually serving the the, the logic of growth through uh, confirming a number of checks and requirements, uh, and so for these people, uh, challenging the logic of growth will be about challenging the the regulations that define what is legal. Consider, for example, that in Portugal, uh, bad planning practice is criminal. If you do mistakes in that uh, sense, you have actually some sense of some kind of, you can have a court behind you. In the other case, I think that the issue is that uh, that, that logic of innovative uh, dynamics, uh, future exploratory, uh, future-oriented exploratory logic is frequently very much oriented towards um, is very, it has its rationale of opportunity of uh, making things happen. And, and that is, is typically associated with its growth. I think, however, that um, the problem of this, this the pro-growth orientation, is not at all very specific to planners. Uh, if if you if you dare me to go in this direction, I think that to a large extent what we are going through is an historical moment in which spirituality, uh, God, life after death, reincarnation, um, what where we came from before we are born, kind of questions, are not questions that um, are. Very pertinent. I'm not very considered very relevant. Um, I kind of put aside at the moment, uh, and that means in in terms of the ethics that are are dominant today, that people are seeking the maximization of self, and maximization of experience, and and then that translates into planning uh, in various forms, but particularly with orientation to growth, because growth represents maximization of opportunities of experiences um, and so i think i think that the the what really hinders planners is at a very pragmatic level the nature of the laws and the nature of the expectations of their job contracts and at the more philosophical level uh, these ethics of maximization of experience and of the self um, which are very very um, dominant and, and apply to many things we see for example to academia maximization of papers, of such contracts, of such funds, of
3: maximization
2: of everything um, applies to, to so many things. And, and that is, I think, where the idea of growth is anchored. And that is why it's so difficult to challenge it.
1: Yeah, so maximizing economic figures or other quantitative factors, um, that's a problem then. But if we go a step further, if you look into your own work, um, which kind of inspiration would you offer for planning petitioners? So is there a way where you see a kind of how to move forward? Like if planners fear of a court case and fear of being part of a change, uh, where do you see inspiration maybe in your own work, but even also maybe also in other work uh, to then get beyond this fear and um, get acting?
2: I would, if I understand you well, I'm not sure if it's a question of courage, uh, first of all. I think it's a question of seeing it. Um, uh, the reality is that I, I, my work is ba- very much based uh, more recently, at least on worldviews, uh, on cosmology, if you want. And so if I have a certain worldview, you can put something in front of me and I just don't see it because it's not according to my worldview. You know, that very famous experiment of really passing by while people throw of the ball to each other or two balls right? and you just don't see the gorilla because you've been set up to see how many people are passing the ball to each other and i think worldview is very important in that sense and so I don't, i'm not necessarily sure it's a, a logic of courage but a logic of does it make any sense to think beyond growth because growth means a good life because there is no life after death because there is no spirituality, because there is no god right And so that there is where life becomes purposeful and logical and makes sense to the individual. And so we we will need to have a different ethics. Uh, The problem is that you cannot just throw ethics at people and say, oh, just believe in something. Let's create something here with some kind of social engineering that will make then people feel, yes, I see it. Now I see it. I see why growth doesn't make sense for me to have a meaningful life. No, it doesn't look like that at all. So that's the, the fundamental problem, the problem of the cosmology of worldview. Then at a the more not so philosophical level, maybe, I think that um, I've been very critical of recent developments towards smart city, uh, automated transport and all these innovation oriented stuff that basically means uh, the intensification of the complexity of technologies. I think that's very problematic because just see this very, quite, almost ridiculous paradox of contemporary life. So at the same time that everything, everyone, all companies, all organizations, all governments are all working towards increasing automation, mechanization, computation of things. People in their free time do things like go to the gym to do incredibly intensive workouts or take gardening where they're breaking their backs to plant a couple of cabbages that don't grow or are going to yoga classes or are going to all sorts of things that represent labor intensive periods of time. So at the same time that we are removing from people the possibility of intensive labor uh, and making that a synonym of progress, people are seeking it so that they feel that their life has moments of meaning. And so this this seems very against the human nature, the the nature of the developments in which we have been put our best efforts in the name of economic growth, really. Uh, Because of course, if you have a machine doing it, it's faster, it's more efficient, typically, not always. But we we tend to believe that it's always better. You know, a machine does it better? No, it doesn't. First, uh, there is a lot of um, evidence that uh, machines don't do necessarily better. Humans sometimes do much better, namely when the, the choice is complex. When it is nuanced? When it requires complex judgment, humans do better. But that is not supposed to be said. There is this idea that you know machines will be better, doing better. Um, and so I think that, that represents in practice that the tasks are being simplified so that machines can do it, and then humans are looking at them. Um, that creates an um, emptiness of meaning and bullshit jobs. That's a pretty interesting book that shows that there are increasingly more jobs no purpose in people money they can buy the things that machines are producing
3: there is a lot
2: of, uh, in the energy one from and planners large extent are responsible of this because they materialize the urban environment to create this set of affairs also then that planners
3: would need to challenge
2: a bit um, the logic of mechanization, computation, and digitalization. And if they do, probably, they will have more fun at work. And that could be an interesting start. Uh,
1: how would you start? So why is, what, do you have one, two things in mind? Why is it really so difficult to overcome this idea of simplifying tasks to make them automatically done by machines? Um, where is the problem to then implement it? different way of thinking or even a different worldview that allows for another goal in planning, but also beyond.
2: I, th- I think that's what has happened. Uh, and uh, is that there, let's compare the, bro- the, the trajectory of two different disciplines. That of planning and that of management. Um, I think that planners have adopted a self-destructive approach and planning scholars as well. And this is because planning has been increasingly um, focusing on land as the the core subject of its own expertise. There is a lot of, you submit the paper, and then they come back to you and say, there is no specificity to this in the issues of the land use and land management, it's too general is management, or is governance, right? And so to be planning frequently, it needs to be about land, uh, or it needs to be about transport, or land use and transport integration, all these kind of things. Um, and so we are kind of, as planners, we are saying that our subject area should be shrunk. In the other end, we have management. Management is supposed to have been, uh, in the same way that for planning, it's the land, for management it should be the firm the micro firm, the company, the little company, micro economy, economics is where management comes from. And so uh, supposedly they should be the experts, not on land, but on the firm, on the management of the firm. But instead what they did is that, no, 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 no. Our knowledge, our tools are relevant for everything. And we accepted it. So in academia, we manage projects and we have projects. In uh, planning, we have projects, we manage projects. In personal life, some people, you know, some people talk about my life is a project or my child is a project, everything is a project. And what is a project? Something in which you set up goals, you establish key performance indicators, and then you identify areas of intervention in which, by means of playing with the levers, there you see the key performance indicators changing towards the achievement of the goals. And so, this logic became very dominant, uh, and actually, planners are being managed but what's interesting is that managers are not being planned because the planners have been focusing too much on land and on transport instead of thinking on actually what i think is the substance and the core um role of the planning profession is in the name to plan to plan is to think about the future and to make a plan meaning let's think what we should do in order to get to the kind of future we're thinking about as desirable take into account where we are now and where we came from. So I think that is the core issue of planning. And I think that it will be very important for planning to stop being colonized by management and then try to, let's say, strike back and to say planning needs to become more influential in a lot of aspects of life. Um, As you see, management is very growth oriented. The firm was supposed to grow, was supposed to make money, was supposed to profit as Max Weber explains, since the the, the development of the spirit of capitalism. And so um, they are about growth, while planning is not necessarily about growth. I think planning is about thinking about the future, plan to plan. And I think there, there will be a lot of potential for thinking beyond growth, because a plan doesn't need to be about making things bigger.
1: What would you say, why did that happen? Why was economic management ideas, why was that so well taken up by planners? What, what
2: made this shift happen? Because of the, let's call it the zeitgeist, if you want to use a German word, which is all about the maximization of self and experience. So it resonated with planners more than resonated the, 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 the substance, the spirit of their own profession. And so became, uh, we became, we were uh, actively colonized, we actively colonized ourselves with the principles of management, pro-growth management, because it resonates with the zeitgeist. And so I would say that, that the, the, the fundamental way out of this is, um, is really a, a, um, a plunge into the human soul, if you want, and a deep reflection about what makes life meaningful beyond maximization
1: yeah. of self. Do, do you also have an advi- advice for a planner working today? So um, get, what could a planner in today's planning situation do in that direction? Where, where could he or she start taking your ideas up and then developing his or herself in that direction?
2: I think, I think that we should be very critical of the increasing um, smartization of cities and everything and of the, the, the planning system itself. So I think the first step will be to be very critical of innovations that lead towards making things smarter, because that is precisely something that is very much oriented towards maximization of experience, economic growth, expansion of ex- possibilities by means of using the shift trick of uh, technology, technology. So I'll be skeptical of that. Um, that's the
3: first thing very critical of this big tech uh, orientation. Um,
2: I think as well that um, things like promoting cycling in cities and uh, active traveling is also very interesting because as a person cycles, the person is actively engaged in the, with the body. And that is an opportunity for, for labor intensive uh, activity which is much better than being on, on a, um, a vehicle that in which we are passively being taken somewhere. It's also a big problem for public transport, which I think has a fundamental problem of you are too passive. While driving, you are not so passive, you're driving. Um, then I think, I think that planners should try to really think about how can they promote a more labor intensive society in which people can actually engage with things Physical things, and so urban gardening, and all these things in which people can do things again, um, instead of being of looking at machines that do things instead of them, will be very very useful for creating this. Because I see, I believe that um, the not I believe I have this strong hypothesis at least that um, the way out of the growth mentality comes from the enjoyment in that we can obtain from doing the tasks we do. So you see, the idea of growth is that I'm doing something really boring, but that is quite okay because then I get money and that pays for how boring or nasty or against my nature was the task I did. Mark's already talked about that. And I think that what we need to do is to make our cities our rural areas everywhere the, along the space and time. Places in which people can do things that are engaging. So it will require a really substantial change in the nature of the economy away from services and digitalization towards more simple tasks, more tasks that people can, can, can do you, themselves. And of course, planners don't do that because that, there's little value added in economic terms in engaging with these tasks and so there are some serious issues there but i think that the 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 point is that as you engage in these tasks you have a glimpse of an alternative ethics beyond maximization of self and experience You become interested in your life as it is instead of the the prospects of the future given by 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 new possibilities so instead of expansion is going deep into the experience i think that's part of the solution Uh, very difficult Uh, yeah
0: i think it's very interesting what you're saying but sometimes i also like when i look at all the digital tools that we have like also during corona i would say it's also not kind of opportunity because you can Like, for example, um, when you looked at the pop-up by things, you had open Google documents where you could share knowledge throughout the whole world within seconds. Like, everyone could work um, their knowledge into these documents and share it. Like, I found this a quite um, great opportunity. And also in Germany, we have some platforms where they combine knowledge, but also, like, yeah, encourage people to do something in the city themselves, like for example, a platform which is called Fix My Berlin. They do qualitative studies on how people experience Berlin, um, the quality of bike lanes or biking around in the city, and they connect this to what the city government wants to do in the future. But then they have also one um, one web like one um, site where you can get in contact with each other to do pop up uh, pop-up streets or like play streets themselves so I think and there's also platforms like Nemanve for example you might have come um, across it so I think there's also opportunities to generate um, hybrid hybrid networks um, it's maybe I also understand your point about the like the digitalization and speeding up but it's also maybe some point where you can also find some resonance in the real world like because it's there like it's very hard to just get rid of it but and then i think it's maybe also interesting to look at this space as a whole from a planner's perspective and not just at the real world like in just focusing on that but then broaden up your views but yeah that's only some thoughts i have about this digital but i totally understand your your worries or like your um thoughts
2: about this as well uh, I'd like to comment on that you know, because I agree with you uh, and actually I agree that there is great merit in the idea of growth and economic growth uh, the problem is the dominance of a given idea
3: and what we are going
2: towards and we see that I think is very it's very noticeable is the idea of dominance. Niraj Verma, a planning theorist, talks about that, the dominance of dominance, the idea that something needs to be dominant, and then we look for it. An example of that that is particularly problematic, I think, is that we have seen recently that uh, um, a very good indicator of sustainability became uh, uh, carbon emissions, while there are much more dimensions to sustainability than carbon emissions. But that can be measured. It's something that Christian was talking about. And so we tend to focus on something that can be measured and is simple, and it can be seen as this dominant idea. Another one is growth. Economic growth is kind of the Uber uh, indicator of success. We have economic growth. Um, another one, I think, is digitalization. Everything is becoming digital, like the most ridiculous appliances in these days are are connected to wi-fi systems why um, there is loss in many aspects to the quality resilience durability privacy of things uh, because of that but so there is this idea that become very dominant and then just accept them and then it becomes a uh, part of the worldview, and you don't see it anymore it's just the way it is like i'm a fish in the water i don't see the water and the reality is that they should be discussed. We should keep thinking about them. And we should continue to have much more democratic and intense and agonistic, uh, like Chantal Mouffe would say, <coughs> engagements about what should be done instead of uh, accepting too soon, too easy, uh, certain uh, dominant ideas. And so my point will be that some things are too dominant. So I'm very thankful that we have this digital tool we're using right now to have this conversation. But... It doesn't mean that we should then digitalize more and more things because this is very useful. That is where the mistake goes. I think, again, it relates to the logic of growth because as we can digitalize things, that means that we have quantified things. All that we're saying has been converted before into uh, zeros and ones. And so actually this conversation can be analyzed and quantified in a much better way. Um, and that is useful for this logic of, of, of increasing things, maximizing things. Uh, and that's not so good, because the idea that we should maximize everything is a, a form of dominance, better avoided. Yeah,
3: uh,
1: thank you. So much talk, talks ahead, I guess, to combine our digital and real worlds and also to make use of all these, these tools in a way that prevent us from purely quantitative issues towards thinking about how do we challenge our own worldviews and how do we develop ourselves further to then get back to the core of planning as you introduced before dealing with plans or planning as a process, but at least with planning concerned with land and so on as opposed or as differentiated from management. So that was um, good thoughts and good food for thought for all of us. And so I would like to get closer to the end and ask you to get back to how to combine post-growth and planning. And I ask you to finish the sentence uh, in your own words, post-growth planning is.
2: Uh, Following the line of thinking that emerged here, I would say that post-growth planning is a form of planning in which we cease to have dominant ideas directing our thoughts and actions. And instead, we are open to see the, the possibilities. Can I advocate, provide an example? Um, the, uh, in my readings about indigenous epistemologies, one thing I find particularly fascinating is how some indigenous uh, communities uh, create uh, settlements. So they go to, they go and live in the place, uh, and they see it as an opportunity for personal transformation. And they engage with the place and they see what is the best way of being in that place trying to change it as least as possible and so that allows them to be changed by the place and allows them to get a relationship with the place and then with time they start to clearly see where the path should be where the different buildings should be and so it's the place that is telling them what should be done instead of going in advance, with the idea of what that you know about, what the place should be about. And so you are not assuming that you have the capacity to impose a dominant view, but instead you allow yourself to be humbly uh, touched by uh, what we can call not the zeitgeist, but the ortsgeist, uh, the, the energy, this, the spirit of the place, and be open for this, this possibility of thinking of the place, not just as um, a, a bios, chemical, spatial thing but something that perhaps has a will of its own and so trying to listen to that will and so post growth planning could be more like that and i think it's pretty clear that the planet is saying that it doesn't want more growth so we should listen to that it doesn't mean that we shouldn't yeah. grow something no, thank but you so maybe we should not so we should, not... go so go. We should
1: open our eyes for this network of possibilities in every place that's just in front of us or we need to find it to get into it instead of the one fixed path uh, yes. where growth, growth can lead us.
2: And not only our eyes but our ears, our, our emotional uh, capacities, our intellectual capacities and be open instead of going into it with a dominant idea that we already know what it is.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: More dialectic I think that will be more what I think would be a, a more interesting form of post growth planning.
0: Yeah, that's very inspiring and a good thing to cling on to and probably read something more about <laughs> soon.
2: <laughs> yeah, indigenous thinking is uh, quite something.
0: Yeah, yeah, I read some Ubuntu and ideas in your, in another um, article, I think.
2: Yeah.
3: Yes, yeah.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. Um, That was a very interesting and I think uh, encouraging or inspiring um, chat we just had um, that I would love to continue. And this will also contribute towards um, a collective um, publication project, I think. So um, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.
1: You too. Thank you. Thanks again for being with us.
3: Thank you, Chrissy. Thank you, Vyar.